Thank you for downloading this episode of the Mac Report Podcast. This episode is brought to you by our subscribers over at themacreport.com. Their support allows us to bring you our coverage of Merrimack Athletics. If you are a subscriber, I thank you. And if you're interested in becoming a subscriber and gaining access to all of our coverage, head on over to themacreport.com today and sign up. If you don't want to subscribe but still want to support us, please rate and review our podcast over on Apple Podcasts. Once again, thank you to our subscribers for making our coverage possible. And now, on to this week's episode. Alrighty, and Thanksgiving is over. We are back. Are you a turkey guy? Are you a, like a what's what's the favorite Thanksgiving uh, dish? Yeah, I mean, if I if I had to say, am I a turkey guy? Yeah, I mean, I love Thanksgiving. Favorite holiday of the year. Um, you know, you get food. You get to watch football beginning at noontime ish. You know, All the way I mean, through I know now happens on a. I know that happens on a Saturday. You know, usually anyways, but you know, in the middle of a week. Hard to complain about a day off. <laughs> and you're not usually cooking a turkey for that for those football games either, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know what was highly I want to ask you this, because this was highly controversial at our Thanksgiving this year. Uh, there was no mac and cheese and and somebody that at our one of my in laws wanted there to be mac and cheese. And I, is that a I mean I, I know it's a thing, it seems to be I've never really heard of it. We never really had mac and cheese at Thanksgiving when I was growing up, but apparently that's a, a thing. Are you is there a mac and cheese at your Thanksgiving? Should there be mac and cheese at no. Thanksgiving? No, there's there's no mac and cheese at uh right? Thanksgivings I so that I've that I've ever been at. It's it my my family Thanksgivings have always been the stereotypical ones of, you know, turkey, mashed potatoes, uh, you know, carrots. You know, my mother usually made a green bean casserole. I know yep. sometimes that makes the rotation. Sometimes that doesn't. Um, you know, you have your rolls. You know, some people do like sweet potatoes or yams, things like that. The cranberry sauce. Can't forget the cranberry nope. sauce, Mike. Nope. Um, but no, that's 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 usually the lineup. Uh, uh, the one the one thing that is a little bit different on my end is my grandfather will make uh, fritters. Like he'll deep fry chunks of like pineapple and and uh, banana, yep. and it's just it's it's something a little sweeter and a little bit lighter at different port uh, different parts of the meal, and it uh, it's it's a good good really hits the spot. Yeah, it sounds it <laughs> for sure. Uh, well, there's also turkey legs, of course, in Merrimack. Uh, won a turkey leg over the weekend. Merrimack won the turkey leg classic, beating Bentley and Army. Had to come back in both games to do it. Their first tournament win in 19 years, in-season tournament win in 19 years. And look, I we'll get into these games because I actually, the more I look back on it and, and re-watch them earlier in the week, I think these were pretty important wins for this group at a time when they really needed them. Because it's not that they were playing poorly, it's not that they were getting, oh excuse me, it's not that they were getting poor results, right? They were, had a win against Lowell had a win against UConn. So it's not like, you know, they were getting necessarily poor results, although the win against Lowell was in a shootout. Uh, I don't know that they were playing 
great in all of those games. And if you go back to even the second main game, really even more so. I thought they played well in the first main game, but that was back at the beginning of the month. So they needed a good showing. I think they needed to have some success to to get their confidence going again, and that's what we saw over the weekend. Yeah, no, definitely. I think the most impressive thing for me was going from the first to the second period on Friday against Army. I mean, they came out in the first period. They outshot Army 18-5, to I think it was, if yep. my box score was correct, 18-5 to in the first period. And after 20 minutes, you look up on the scoreboard and you're down to zip. You're like, uh-oh. You know, is this going to be one of those, okay, day after Thanksgiving, things get a little funky. You know, it's one of those early afternoon puck drops. Wacky things happen. We know that in college hockey alone, never mind when you bring non-conference tournament play into things. But I, I like the response. I mean, you got five goals in the second period, and all of a sudden you flipped what was a 2 nothing deficit, and now you had a three, plus three goal differential after 40 minutes of play after being negative two after the opening 20. Yeah, and that's the thing, like, I know we've talked about this before, but there's a difference between being behind and not playing well. Like, because they were behind 2 nothing in that game and played pretty well. When you're out shooting yeah, our, team 18-5 yeah. in, in, the, in a period, you played a pretty good period. It's just that sometimes mistakes can end up in the back of your net. Yeah, I mean, you knew Army was going to come out of the gate hot to begin with. I mean, Army was probably had the mindset like most road teams do. Hey, let's get to the first media timeout and evaluate our situation from there and see where we're at. And by the time we get to the first media uh, media timeout, Army had a one nothing lead because they scored 93 seconds into the game. So that was going to build a little bit of confidence. And, I mean, Merrimack still continued. To, they stuck to their game. They played well. They were still you know, trying to get that third man active along the boards and trying to win puck battles below the goal line. I, I thought they were they were successful in trying to do that, and they continued to do so in the second period of play and, were, excuse me, were got rewarded with five goals yeah. in doing so. Yeah, and that's where, like, I think we talked about this two weeks ago uh, when we recorded our last episode, but that's... There's a, there's a difference, and it sounds weird to say it, but like I think sometimes people get hung up on results, and we all do, right? Because at the end of the day, that's what matters. What what these teams are going to be measured on is wins and losses. But it is a a process, and there's there is such a thing as playing well and and losing, and playing poorly and winning. And I even look at like Providence last couple of weekends; they had three straight losses, but they played pretty well in all three of those games. So some people would look at that and go, "Oh, well, Providence, you know, they've lost three in a row. Maybe they're not for real." I look at it and go, well, no, they played just fine. They just happened to lose those games. These guys are going to be playing, these teams are playing, roughly speaking, 2,000 minutes of hockey in the regular season. To to pass judgment on 60 of those 2,000 minutes and say that, oh, one team is struggling or one team and now all of a sudden is playing well, I think is kind of foolish. Yeah. I, I think you want to, on just those results, like I think it, it's, and if you listen to coaches talk, and this is what coaches get to all the time, like, I thought you'll see teams after they lose a coach will say, well, I thought we played well because it's, it's more about the process. And I think if you control those little things more often than not, you're going to win more games. It's like going way back to when analytics were first coming into baseball and like you've seen the movie Moneyball, read the book too, but in the, there's that scene in the movie where uh, the, the Jonah Hill character is saying everyone's trying to buy wins like with their free agent dollars but no you really need to buy runs because runs is what results in wins 
and everybody's kind of understanding it wrong. And I think sometimes that still happens in hockey where people get over overreactionary to wins and losses instead of going, well, how did you play in that game? And the the analogy I used at the beginning of the year, again, was a baseball analogy, but there's a big difference between going 0 for 4 and striking out four times and 0 for 4 with four hard hit balls to the outfield. Like, that's that's a much different... The, the number is the same, the result is the same, you're 0 for 4, but it was a different process in, in how you got to that, and one you can feel good about, and, and there's some promise of positive... Uh, something positive happening in the future. The other one, you're, you're sitting there going, geez, this is a really bad night and they might struggle. So it, we get hung up, I think, on wins and losses too much, especially early in the year, even though all these games count and, as far as a pairwise goes. And that's where I, I was encouraged coming out of this weekend because I thought Merrimack played well in both, of, in both of these games, whereas over the last couple of weeks, against specifically against UConn and, and Lowell, the performance was a little up and down. And their results matched it, right? Like a win and a loss in both of those series. Uh, but their performance wasn't consistent, in my opinion, over those last two weeks. And I felt like it was a little more consistent this weekend. Yeah, there was definitely more fluidity, if you want to say that, in the in the, uh, in the team's game. Again, we, we talked about Scott's message of wanting to kind of get back to how they won hockey games last year, and we mentioned it and how they turned the tide in that second period of continuing to get pucks deep and win battles along the wall because they feel like with some of their size and speed up front, they have the capability of making plays and being deadly in the offensive end when they get to when they get to playing their game. I mean, if you told me that, Merrimack beat Army on Friday in the tournament game 7-3. to three. I would think that, okay, that's a game Merrimack took a lead early and never never would have uh, relinquished that lead. Never would have thought that, you know, they'd be down 2 nothing after the first 20 minutes of play. Um, Saturday, again, they got tested by another good Bentley team. I mean, Bentley went down to Lowell on Friday, beat Lowell down there in what was extensively the – what led to the Turkey Lake championship game at Lawler on Saturday. So um, it was a good test. Uh, Like you said, definitely like the overall arc of how they looked as a team, Uh, both, you know, all four forward lines, six defensemen, both goaltenders I thought played relatively well. I mean, uh, Zach wasn't overly tested on Friday, but I thought Hugo made some uh, very quality saves late in that third period uh, when Bentley continued to press down by a, by a goal late yeah. in regulation. That Bentley team's going to win some games, especially in Atlantic hockey for sure. Uh, and I, my other takeaway from the weekend was just they're starting to get that second layer that was missing a little bit in the first seven or eight games. And we all remember going into the playoffs last year, you had the, the Jeffries line, you had the, the well, Cavalry line, the best line for them in the playoffs was probably the, the Ryan Liebold line, which was Liebold, Seifert, and McMesner. They started most of the, I think, every playoff game. <laughs> Almost, yeah, I think it was, I, I know it was definitely the game, the quarterfinal game against Boston College. Um, I know it was definitely the semifinal game at the Garden. And, you know, if you started them two out of th- the first two playoff games, I find it hard that Scott yeah. would have, you know, veered away from that. You know, going into the uh, the hockey East title game, they were just a tone setter, and I don't know if we're going to see another line that evolves into that. But 
we're starting to see some of that bottom six forward group, some of those uh, third and fourth line guys, I-, I thought had a really good weekend. I thought Ethan Bono's line had a really good weekend. I thought Bono had a good weekend. Uh, I thought David Sacco had a really good weekend. Uh, Luke Weiland was in on that line on, on Saturday, got his first goal. So I thought that line looked good. You know, I think Bono hasn't, sh- Bono hasn't showed up on the, on the score sheet yet, but he's doing a lot of good things, and I think he will eventually. Uh, and I think over the course of his career, he's going to score a lot of points because you can just see it. Uh, Sacco is just – I mean, he could be the type of player that replaces Jordan Seifert in terms of what Seifert brought to the table. I know it's early. I know he's a freshman. He's only played in eight games. But the way that, that David Sacco plays, he plays like one of those heart and soul type players. Yeah, well, I mean, he's he's certainly got the size as a freshman, 6'1", 194. I mean, you give him another – or you give him a, you know, season playing, lifting, getting, you know, on a dietary program that, you know, all these teams have, you know, come the fall next year, I think we're going to definitely be talking a lot more about, you know, number 24 for, uh, for Merrimack. And, and then of course the big breakout was tied to know, right? I mean, if it's that second layer of scoring. Good. Yeah. He, he looked really good. I, I was, I was really impressed with him. I mean, obviously he talked to us post game on, on, uh, on Saturday after we got his first and it was, it was kind of just one of those situations where it got, it just got thrown to the net and, it went. Excuse me. This was this was on uh, Friday against Army. It just got thrown off uh, to the net, and it went in off his leg. But I mean, he he is getting the presence of mind to, you know, make a living in front of the net. Find find a spot there. You know, use the skill that he has around the net to make plays and maybe create opportunities where other guys might not necessarily see chances. And and then I mean, BU coming in this weekend. Whew. You need all yeah. hands on deck and right on cue. Yeah, and and that's what that's what worries me a little bit. You need all hands on deck with BU, and we know that Mike Brown and Ivan Zivlak have been out. I think you, you need them back, especially this weekend. Uh, I don't know if either of them are ready, but you hope that they are. I think they they've both been skating, from what I've been told. I don't know that they've been skating in contact jerseys yet, but they've both been skating. Christian Felton went down on Friday. You can't afford to be without him, not when, you, when you're already without Zivlak and Brown. And then Michael Zatara also went down on Friday, who has emerged as one of their better scorers. Uh, again, another one of those second-layer guys behind Capone and Jeffries. So we'll see. Uh, we'll, we'll talk to Scott Bork later on and, and see how, how healthy they are heading into the weekend. But uh, BU's playing well. I know they didn't get the win on Saturday, but they – May they probably should have. I mean, they convert on one of those power plays they had on Saturday against Cornell. They win that game, and they beat they beat Quinnipiac earlier in the week. Uh, you need it's an all hands on deck type of weekend, and if you've got four of four of your lineup regulars and, and key contributors who are down, that is going to make an already tough dif- uh, an already tough weekend even a little more difficult. I know, I know the Michael Sitar injury was it probably looked a little more long term at yeah. least in my in my opinions i mean I, i'm not here to give any sort of diagnosis and i know you aren't either but you know he was seen it looked that way though i agree yeah. after, he, he he was seen after the game walking around with his arm you know kind of kind of locked up in a in, in some sort of like you know movement restriction 
type thing. I, I don't want to necessarily call it a brace because I don't I don't know if it was, but you know there was definitely something there trying to limit motion on his on one of his arms. So, um, you know, it, Scott has yet to come out and say anything. But like you said, anybody that can get into the lineup this week that hasn't been, you know, a hundred percent against the team that ended your ended a great dream that this team had last year. Um, we certainly know that the guys that are back in the lineup um, from that team last year have some unfinished business, and uh, it's, it's going to be a fun weekend. I'm looking forward to it. Sold out on Friday, too, from what we understand. It's sold out, yeah. It's uh, And we're recording this on a, Wednesday, so like a couple days in advance. Yeah, and I believe it was sold out early on Wednesday afternoon, too, because I believe Wednesdays, is day one on campus of when they start selling tickets to oh. the students. Okay. So I believe today was the first day in the SAC that they were going to be selling student tickets from like 10 to 2. And before like 3 o'clock today, I saw that it was sold out. So that's uh, definitely a good thing. Uh, other things to talk about with hockey before we get to basketball. Caden uh, Cranston committed to Merrimack yesterday. Uh, this is a big one. He leads the BCHL in scoring. At the moment, 29 points in 19 games and turned down some more well-known, bigger schools in the recruiting process, too. From what I've been told, was also being recruited by Lowell and Penn State. So, uh, ends up committing to Merrimack. He visited a couple of weeks ago, was, ironically enough, a Bentley recruit, who Merrimack just played at one point. Um, But 29 points in 19 games in the BCHL, which is... In my opinion, the second best junior league outside of the USHL. Uh, the USHL is the best one, for sure, but the BCHL is not that far behind, to be honest with you. So if he's leading that league in scoring, he, he should be a, a point producer at the next level. Historically, that has been the case. So uh, a significant recruiting victory for the Warriors over the weekend, or excuse me, earlier in the week. And just another example, I mean, I, I, I think I had a graph on it in uh, our – in the well, in the story where I, that I had where Cranston committed, uh, I had a graphic at the bottom, kind of showing the significant uh, improvement in in recruiting, in, at least in terms of star ratings of, of the players they're bringing in over the last four or five years, and uh, a lot more guys that are at or floating near four stars. Whereas for a while there, uh, Merrimack was kind of more in the, the three and a half star territory, from like sixteen to to nineteen, sixteen to eighteen. So. Uh, I, look, I don't think it's any surprise that when your recruiting improves, your team generally improves. Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, certainly anytime your program wins, stacks up wins, you know, you, you're able to put together successful seasons and, you know, show that your program is competing not only in conference play, but you're now last year, a big notch in the recruiting belt saying, hey, look, we punched a ticket to the national title or the national tournament, excuse me. Um you know, the next step comes winning a game in the national tournament. And then you, you know, just take it a step further from there. So, I mean, any little thing that you can do to get a leg up on, you know, anybody, especially you mentioned um, where uh, he was being recruited by UMass Lowell. That's a team 20 minutes right down the road. That's a, that's a, it's a backyard recruiting battle. It's always good to come out on top in, uh, in those ones. I believe Cranston visited Merrimack and Lowell in the same weekend. Which you would expect, I mean, right down the street from each other. So yeah, in exactly. terms of taking those those campus visits, they were they were done on the exact same weekend. And I think it was actually the weekend where Merrimack played Lowell, ironically enough. Or or maybe it was the no. UConn weekend. I don't remember now. Maybe. It, may, it may have been the UConn weekend. But either way, um, 
that's a, a significant recruiting victory and a couple now in the last couple of weeks because Seamus Powell from who's playing in Dubuque in the USHL, a defenseman who was also at BC for a year uh, and was at the National Development Program, committed two weeks ago. So two pretty significant additions to next year's recruiting class. They'll both come in next year, I would think. I mean, Cranston, Cranston could go back to juniors for another year, but I don't see why that would happen. Uh, if he's leading the BCHL in scoring, he's coming in next year. Uh, he's probably ready. So I would think both those guys would be additions to next year's class. Powell definitely is. Yeah, well, Powell, Powell definitely would would you would imagine would be on campus in the uh, in the fall next year and you know take things from take it uh, take it as you see fit with uh, with anybody else. Uh, all right, Merrimack men's basketball. They had the Sanford MTV MTV MTE multi team event. MTV man MTE the multi. It's not a tournament, Ian. It's an MTE. It's a multi team event, not uh, a tournament. Okay. That- Multi-team event. Thanks for actually, thanks for actually clarifying that for me, though, because I was <laughs> extremely confused. I, I couldn't, for the life of me, figure out what MTE meant. Like, yeah, mul- I looking don't know. at it on the on the on the calendar. I think there's some sort of exception or something where, like, I don't know if they don't count towards the max on games or something. There's it has something to do with that. But I thought it was silly, and again, not here to like bash anybody else's program. But Merrimack played in what was it Montana's MTE last year. And yeah, it was them. They Montana. broadcast every game. Yeah, yeah. Like, as it should be. If you're going to host one of these, broadcast the games. Stanford only broadcasted their own games. So there was no way to watch Merrimack's game against North Carolina A&T or Alabama State. You could only watch the Merrimack game against Stanford. I'm sorry. Like, if you're going to host one of these events and get the three home games that you get out of hosting one of these events, you should, you should be, you should you should be, be broadcasting all the games. Come on. Absolutely. Because they're I mean, staffing what? it. They're staffing it with stats have, people and everything. Like you can't, you couldn't have someone broadcast it. I mean, uh, even if you don't want to bring in a play-by-play crew, just bring in a camera. Just bring in it. All you got to do is put somebody up in a bleacher true. section, yeah, and, and just man the camera and allow people to at least watch the game. Yeah, I you agree. know they can track they can track the stats online with the live stats and the crew that's doing that courtside as well. Just bring in the camera and have somebody rotate back and forth and follow the play. It's yeah. you know you don't need a production or anything like that. It was disappointing, and I was, I was kind of frustrated by it. Like this is it's Division One basketball. If you're going to host yeah. one of these events, broadcast the games. If you're not willing to broadcast the games, don't host one of these events. I'm sorry. <laughs> like that's just we'll be, able to wa- we'll be able to watch the game tonight, Mike. Yes, uh, as we record this, Merrimack getting set to take on Georgetown. Uh, on it'll be on well, it was on Fox Sports One by the time you listen to this. <laughs> uh, somebody, but yeah. somebody may or may not be in a positive mood depending on whether or not team can stick around 10 and a half. Yeah, well, there you go. <laughs> well, Ken Palm has it as a nine point nine, nine point game. Georgetown, yeah, I got it. I got it. Rebuilding got Georgetown. This isn't your, your dad's Georgetown team, they're they're rebuilding a little bit so. Yeah. Uh, Merrimack actually better in, in some categories, but uh, I thought they looked good. I mean, two losses against in that Samford tournament or MTE over the weekend, um, but still they beat North Carolina a and I thought they looked good in that game. Kept things close with Samford, who was a favorite in, in that game. They were favored over Alabama State, and that was it seemed like an ugly. We weren't able to see it, uh, but it seemed like an ugly one where just the shooting went a little bit cold, and you know that's going to happen some nights. It feels like, but. Uh, coming out of the weekend, it seems like they've they've got their rotation in terms of Stinson, Clark, and Savage rotating as guards, and Durkak at small forward, uh, Tumnu at, at center, and um, uh, oh, Asama Diallo kind of taking the reins as as the 
the power forward, and then some rotations in there as well with Jacob O'Connell and, and Jordan McCoy. And but it seems like they've kind of have their rotation down, and it's been pretty consistent uh, since Durkak came back, which luckily they were able to get him back uh, for the start of that Samford tournament last week. Yeah, I mean it was certainly impressive on Friday. I mean they dropped ninety six points. When was the last time a Joe Gallo led program? put up 90 plus in a game. Yeah. It yeah, uh, doesn't usually happen. Like, th- th- that doesn't happen. Um, you know, numbers wise, they played pretty well on Friday. Uh, 50, po- uh, 55% from the field, uh, 31% from downtown six and 19. They were 75% from the line, which is huge. You know, I, coaches all the time, obviously, you know, you're at the line. You, they're, they're called free throws, hit them. Yep. Um, they Something went, Andre they went, Drummond they, can't do, as we saw in the South. Can't do. We saw. We saw that. Yep. We <laughs> that saw was that. hilarious. Um, by the way, it was great, and <laughs> I love all the people that are complaining about it too. Like, oh, come on, that's not the point of the game. No, that's not the point of the game as a whole. If they're doing but this tournament the, thing, it but is. But when it the is. NBA in, instituted this in-season tournament and decided that, hey, uh, you know, point differential is going to be the tiebreaker, you had to know that some team or some yep. teams. We're going to try and have to do that. People that don't know what we're talking about, the Celtics played the Bulls last night and needed to win by 23 points to advance in the NBA in-season tournament. So they were up, what, 29, I think, with like seven minutes left in the fourth quarter and started yeah. intentionally following Andre Drummond, who's probably the worst free-throw shooter in the league. He's the, modern the day, he's the modern-day Hack-A-Shack. It's not oh, Hack-A-Shack, yeah. it's, it's Hack-A-Drummond. He's, you know, and it, you're in the NBA. Hit a free-throw. Like, yep. <laughs> what are we talking about? And, and that's millions thing, like, of dollars in a, in a regular season game. I totally agree. It, it's a bad look, but in a tournament where if we want to move on, we've got to win by 23 points, then it's blame the league. The league set up the tournament. Exactly. But anyway, uh, Diablo has been one of the better free throw shooters in college basketball. I think he's like top 20 or something like that in free throw percentage uh, nationally. So they were, they were very good at the line. They, they shot really well earlier in the tournament and then things went cold against Alabama state, but that's the end of a long weekend, three games in three days, a little bit of a different way that Fourth that thing night, was put together. in a hotel. Yeah, spent Thanksgiving away down in Alabama. I mean, it was, there, there's reasons why the shooting could suddenly go cold like that. At the end of the day, their, their non-conference schedule has been much better uh, than, than what it looked like last year, obviously. But, uh, and, and I think they're in a better spot in terms of being ready to go for conference play. There was some concern. I mean, I think you and I probably talked about it. There, there was concern last year coming out of non-conference play, like, hey, we think they're going to be good, and yeah, they're going to get in the league play here, and it's going to look a little bit different, but when you only win, what, one non-conference game, I think it was, last year? Um, there is concern about, you know, yeah, you are going to get into NEC play here, but how much better can it really be when you only win one? Uh, and they had played some power schools last year, but still had played plenty of games that they should have they should have won, even without Jordan Minor, who wasn't in the lineup for a, a good chunk of those games. Uh, they just seem to be a little more in sync this time around in non-conference play. I thought they looked really good against Ohio State until Ohio State pulled away late, and then you know we'll see what they look like against Georgetown tonight. But I actually think I mean this should be close. I think it should be based on everything we've seen from both these teams going into this game. This should be something they should be able to keep close. Yeah, no, definitely. It's like you said, it's not your dad's Georgetown program. Um I'm interested to see Durkak being back in the lineup. Uh, again, we talked about he looked good over the weekend. Um, it, you know, more is going to happen as, you know, 
Brian Atunu continues to play and develop. Uh, he looked good. He pulled down nine rebounds in that win on Friday um, against North Carolina A&T, so I thought he played well there. And even even in the losses, again, against against Sanford and Alabama State, he, he played pretty well in those too. So um, he will certainly be tested against a Georgetown team, you know, a Big East powerhouse team or a Big East powerhouse program name, I should say. Um but, you know, no, big atmosphere. It, it'll be great to see how they look. And then, you know, finally for the first time on Saturday night, they'll get to come home and play a home game. Yeah, and a big one too. 5-1 uh, and one UMass Lowell's coming in Saturday. Uh, they beat Stonehill earlier today. Have a win on the road at Georgia Tech a couple of weeks ago. Big Their win, only yeah. loss. I, I caught, the, caught the tail end of that game down at Georgia Tech. Yeah. Um, and then it was that was a that was a great ball game back and forth. Um and you you know you mentioned they then they went out a couple days late uh, two days later they went out and they lost by two at Arizona State. Exactly. I was gonna say their only loss is Arizona State by two. I mean that, that's yeah you couldn't be in the game any more than that. So uh that should be a good one on uh that should be a really good one on Saturday and, and a good a, a good test and a good test at home in, in what should hopefully be an, another pretty good crowd because these are Big games coming up at Lawler this weekend between Merrimack and BU on Friday, and then Merrimack Lowell uh, basketball on on Saturday, and of course Merrimack also don't forget down at BU don't. on Saturday too. So yeah, and also don't forget too uh, the Merrimack women program basketball. They'll be playing uh, Friday morning, eleven a.m. too. That's right. They will, they'll be that. playing ahead of the Merrimack BU hockey game. I like that. I like that. Uh, okay, a couple things before we wrap up. One was a mailbag. We did have one mailbag question that came in from our last episode from Rebecca, uh, who says, building off your conversation about the seating atmosphere at Lawler last week on the podcast. This was in our discussion, I guess. I think it was during the UConn. Was it during? Yeah, because we didn't record after the Lowell series. So it was during the U- yes. uh, after the UConn series. How it just felt a little dead. No, no, I'm sorry. It was after the, oh, yeah, the no, shootout. It was game. after the, the Wednesday night game, yes. That's it was right. after the Lowell Wednesday night. We were saying it felt yep. a little dead in there. Um, she says, uh, sorry, I lost my place here. Uh, oh, what was the goal of the new Galan Pavilion, and is it meeting that goal? Because the seats always seem empty, and it looks terrible on camera, quite frankly. Since they're empty anyway, do you think they should just sit students in those seats? Uh, well, it's a club section, so I think from that standpoint, the, the goal is to raise funds. They're the most expensive seats in the building as far as outside of luxury boxes, so I would think that they're I would think they're hitting their goal from from that standpoint, and that's where, look, should they sit students in those seats? Probably not, because I think you, you'd probably have some club members that are pretty upset if it turns into a student section when they've bought, when they've bought club seats. Uh, but I do think, as you and I talked about last week, I would like to see them flip the ice to the other side so that the students on the other side of the ice are on top of the opposing team's goalie twice. That's what I would like to see happen. Yeah, I kind of thought that that might have been something that was talked about when this whole renovation pro, uh, project was pitched or originally it started and they were like, okay, our idea is we're going to move the student section down to the other end. Okay. That's fine. You want to do that. But like we've talked about, there aren't too many college hockey arenas in the country where your student section is behind your goaltender for yeah. two periods of play. Like it's there's, just, I mean, it's, it's I haven't been in every building, but I've been in a lot of them, and none of the ones that I've been in have been, are, are, have been like that. Both in hockey yeah. east and in other leagues. Yeah, I can only I can only attest to 
uh, nine or ten of the thirteen buildings that have been or have existed in Hockey East. I've yet to make it up to Gutterson or Alfond, but one day. <laughs> <laughs> the closest, I think, I think it was. Um... Is it Holy Cross or Robert Morris? There's one of those schools that are like in a in a rink where there's only seating on one side of the ice where the students, they had the students kind of sat in the middle. But they were sat in the middle because they were behind the visiting team's bench. So they weren't behind ah. the goalie, but they were on the bench. So like there's still okay. the, the right angle there, I think. But that's what I would like to see them do. I think as far as the, the pavilion seats and are they meeting their goal, I mean, the goal is to raise money. I mean, it was really what the goal is for, for a club yeah. like that. It's a premium seating club. So uh, I think they probably are. Um, I mean, it's also the first year of it, so I think in the long term it will. But it's a fundraising vehicle. I mean, that's every every other program has some sort of club like that. Uh, Merrimack had one, you know, has had one for a while. It was on the other side of the building, but now it's just behind the net. Um, but, yeah, I think it's – I would assume – I mean, it seems like from what I've seen – the seats aren't necessarily full, like the seats down below, but the club seems pretty full on a nightly basis. So I would assume that whether it's bar, uh, revenue from the, the bar that's in there or just the ticket sales, uh, that there's uh, you know there's money being made there, which is, again, the ultimate goal of the premium club, whether it's at Gillette Stadium or Lawler or you know Providence Basketball. <laughs> that's, what, that's what all of those, those clubs are there for. We know they won't be empty this weekend either. Uh, you know, we just talked about earlier too. So looking forward to it. Should be a good crowd. It should be a very good crowd. Uh, and then we'll see what we'll see what a Gannis looks like on Saturday. Every time I go to a Gannis, it's never that full. So, Also, my question, just general wonderment here. How, why the 6 o'clock puck drop on Saturday night at a Gannis? I have no idea. I think it's just what they do. I know Lowell does it because they try and limit the – you know, the amount of traffic downtown, especially on a Saturday night during the winter time when they have like Winterfest and carnivals yeah. and things like that. They've done it for a handful of years. It's been a it's been a thing for them. Yeah, but, uh, I'm looking at BU schedule. They they've had it done they've done it a couple of times and and uh, yeah, I don't know why. So they did it against Maine on the eighteenth. They they did a, a five o'clock start or excuse me, a six o'clock start. They're not doing it on January thirteenth against UNH. That's a seven o'clock start. Uh, but they are doing it on February 17th. I think it's Providence as a 6 o'clock start. So, yeah, I don't know. It must just be something maybe they're trying, and I'm not sure. Also, we should we should remind the folks out there as well that Friday night is a 7.30 puck drop, not 7 o'clock start. <laughs> not only are you reminding people, you're informing me. I was not aware of that. <laughs> oh, okay, yeah. Yeah, Mike, Friday night, 7.30 puck drop. Why is with that? The 11, with the 11 a.m. basketball game between okay. the UC Riverside women and the Merrimack women basketball program. <laughs> yeah, I, I, so I was actually not aware that I was a 7:30 game. So thank you. I would have been sitting there going, "Why are we we late here? What's what's going on?" <laughs> yeah, all of a sudden it's all of a sudden you're looking at your looking at your watch and it's six six thirty two when they're supposed to be taking the ice from a warm ups and oh, there's no one on the ice. Is this where the is first everybody? Time? Is this the first time that they're doing the two games in one day in Lawler? Yeah, I believe so. Yeah, so so Merrimack women against UC Riverside at like you said eleven a.m. at Lawler. Uh, that's going to be on Nesson, and then so then they get the hockey game Saturday night. Uh, excuse me, Friday night at Lawler, and then men's basketball is in Lawler on Saturday afternoon. So they're doing two changeovers basically in less than twenty four hours. Yep. 
good luck to the staff. Yeah, I like it. I like it. It's like those old Thanksgiving, uh, the, the Black Friday games at the Garden. All the Celtics were on the road this year. But you, when I was a kid, yeah, you used to be able Black to hit Friday the double headers. Yeah, right? I used to be able to hit the noontime, noontime Bruins yeah. game, go get a bite to eat, and come back for the eight o'clock Celtics game. <laughs> did that yeah, quite? Yeah. Did that quite a few times. I was looking up UC Riverside. I believe they're the Golden Bears or the Bears, something like that. I was thinking of uh, uh, UC Irvine. Yeah, they're the Anteaters. Yes. Ah, oh, that's one of the best. That's one of the best names in college sports. Name. They're a good mascot. It's a pretty the good anteaters. Name. You don't see a lot of anteaters out there. <laughs> no, you don't. Arthur, the only other, uh, the only exactly. other anteater I can think of. Yeah. Oh wait, no. Arthur's an aardvark. He's an aardvark. You're right. He's an aardvark. He's an aardvark. <laughs> He's an aardvark. Yeah. Oh wait, aren't aardvarks and anteaters the same thing? I have no idea. I was a communication. I, I was a communications well, major. <laughs> well, I know. So was I, Mike. Too. I mean, um. Tune in next week. Uh, yeah, <laughs> we'll, I guess we'll, I'll we'll find that out. Aardvark's related. Hold on, we still have a, we have like thirty seconds here, Mike. <laughs> Aardvark is not another name for an anteater. Both animals are, share similar facial features and eating habits, but are very different. Okay, there we go. And Answer that's solved. why you tune in to the Mac Report <laughs> podcast. <laughs> All right, Ian. Uh, yeah. Thanks as always. Enjoy the games you this got weekend. It. You got it, Mike. We'll All talk right. to you later. All right, Ian Bouchane joining us on the show. We'll take a quick break and be back with more. You're listening to the Mac Report Podcast. Sage, what about this stick? I like the orange in it. No, Mom, what is this? This stick is so dusty, there's no more Geno's left in it. I can take it from here, Mom. What kind of tweet are we looking for here, bud? Just a stick so I could toss sauce Chef Boyardee style. Something more apples versus buckets. Yeah, as long as I could still snipe Bar South and Sally. All right, I got the perfect twig for you. It's going to be this stick here, mid-flex point stick. Completely accurate for five down every time. This is awesome. I love it. TSR Hockey. We speak your language. I'm Cole Caulfield, and I played college hockey. I'm Adam Fox, and I played college hockey. I'm Jake Gensel, and I played college hockey. I'm Johnny Gaudreau, and I played college hockey. Whether you are a fan or a player, nothing compares to college hockey. For more information, visit collegehockeyinc.com. All right, Merrimack going to take on BU this week at a home-and-home series. Starts on Friday at Lawler Rink. Uh, the head coach of the Merrimack men's hockey team, Scott Bork, is with us. And, Coach, I guess the first thing with, with guys that went down last week, I feel like I'm asking about this every week, unfortunately, the way that it's gone. But uh, health-wise, especially on D, uh, well, you guys have been down some defensemen. What, what are you guys looking at this week heading into this BU series? Uh, well, good news and bad news. Good news is that Feltz, uh, Christian Felton and Ivan Ziflak are available. Uh, obviously, uh, Ivan hasn't been available for a while, and Christian just wasn't available really last weekend, even though we dressed him one game. He only played two shifts. Uh, but uh, having those two back you know, can stabilize us defensively and hopefully give us uh, you know, some more size and some more physicality on the back end for sure. Michael Brown is still out, uh, but I do think he's making great progress, and I do think he'll be back after Christmas uh, for sure and ready to go, um, and that would be great. Be, you know, We really liked our decor going into the season, and then it got beat up a little bit early, uh, but now that it's getting healthy, you know, the games missed by some guys has really strengthened the game of some others, so I'm excited about that opportunity. 
Yeah, I was going to say, you know, there's been times where in some of the goals you guys have allowed, there's been times where I've said to myself, oh, they, they're missing those guys that are out right now, right? Obviously, especially some of the bigger bodies like Brown and Zivlak. And, uh, but overall, the, the D's been pretty good. And some guys that are probably playing a lot more minutes than you probably had them penciled in for at the beginning of the year have have steadily improved over the course of this ice time they've been getting too. So, I mean, have you seen improvement from those those guys that have been healthy, specifically the ones that maybe you weren't sure were going to have much of a role early on and, and have, have had to because of the, the injury situation you found yourself in? Well, the, the nice thing in those situations is like a guy like Adam Arvidsson who – has you know he's, he's had a tough sled right he's been in and out he's had to earn ice and he's done a great job of getting some ice but he's been able to just relax and play because he knew he was in the lineup and i think it's really helped his game uh trevor greibel the same thing you know and that's been very helpful to them where they knew they were getting rolled over again um the next night and i think that's been a really good opportunity for them to gain some confidence in their game and you've seen it in the way they've played and then the two freshmen, Max Watville and Frankie Jurasevic, they've been counted on uh, very early in their career, and they've both really handled it well, uh, which is exciting for their futures. And then, obviously, uh, Liam Dennison and Zach Bookman, who are the other two have been, I think, played every game so far. Um, you know, they're both established for us, but they both have played a lot of minutes and and good minutes against good, you know, good competition against people's, people's top players, and you know, that's just made their game better. So. I'm I'm excited about what our back end looks like. Uh, I'm really happy with the way guys have played to date, uh, and now we have more competition, and that's typically good for everybody because it raises everybody's game. The one thing I've noticed too is is even over the last month is when I've kind of really paid close attention to it during games. But even in some of the games where you've trailed, you got you haven't had to shorten the bench as much as you had to maybe in previous years. It, it seems like it's still a pretty steady rotation in, ter- in terms of all four lines going over the boards, all three D pairs going over the boards. Does that just speak to uh, added, uh, added depth in terms of being able to, to consistently roll every line in, in your rotation? You know, if we were nine and one, I would say that for sure. You know, we've stumbled and struggled at times sure, yeah. mightily during this, their first half year, but but I do think we have that ability to play full lines. And I think that's an advantage when you're in games, you know, two game weekends. Uh, it's also great to get the development out of the guys who may not be in your top six. But, you know, I, I think that uh, everybody's kind of found a niche for our, from our forward group uh, and has contributed through that niche. And that's important for us moving forward. And uh, as we begin to get healthier, you know, obviously um, Michael Soter and Chase Stevenson are still out. Um, and that's unfortunate because they're both guys who can really help us. But I think where those guys are out, uh, we have an opportunity to get some other guys some really important minutes that, that are going to grow their games too. So I think we'll see the same thing happen uh, up front that we saw happen on the back end where some players have emerged that can, hey, they can play these situations. They can play these big minutes. Uh, and now you're adding competition to the group, and that, again, raises everybody's game. I thought that the the, bon- the Bono line last week, speaking of, of – uh of some of the lines that are a little deeper in the depth chart. I thought they had a really good weekend. Obviously they had the Luke Weiland had the goal on in the Saturday game, but it seemed like even just Bono and Sacco, when they were on the ice, they were finding ways to make impacts and not necessarily showing up with the score sheet yet, I but you can it, kind of see it coming. I definitely agree with you. I, I, I think that uh, 
Ethan Bono and, and David Sacco and, and um, Devin O'Brien have established themselves really well. And they, they play simple. They play hard. They hunt pucks. They're physical. Uh, I've liked that line. I think they've found some chemistry as well, which is always a positive. So, you know, they'll continue to grow. Uh, they got to continue to play well. The guys behind them that, you know, want that ice too. And, you know, it's important that they continue to push their game because they are getting pushed in behind. You guys have moved Jeffries back and forth a couple of times too. From from uh, started at center, moved back to wing this past week, and moved back to center. Uh, what was kind of the mindset there, and, and where do you think he may be moving forward? You know, I, I think that I moved him out of the middle of the rink because I just thought I asked too much of him his first weekend back in games. Um, you know, that's on me. I put him at, at, in the middle of the rink. We were playing Maine. They're obviously hard and heavy, and we spent some time on our own end and. You know, he had a lot to do that weekend for a guy coming back for the first time you know, in the season. So I moved him to the wing to kind of make the adjustment a little bit easier for him. But now that he's at his legs and he's starting to play, uh, I think it can be really helpful to us in the middle of the rink. It makes us much deeper there. Uh, without Chase Stevenson, we really needed a, a push in the middle. And I think that uh, you know Alex has given us that. and We'll keep him there for, for the time being, and I, I think he enjoys it as well. One thing about Alex is he loves a challenge, and I think playing a different position gives him a new challenge, and you know he, he embraces that. Uh, another one of the other centers too, and I feel like we haven't really talked about him enough this year, considering how well he's played. Is Mark Hillier? Uh, it just I I know he came in as, as a younger guy, and as we talked about when he was a freshman, he kind of missed that last year a junior before he came in. But uh, it, it from an offensive standpoint, it, it seems like he's emerging as the the type of player that I knew you thought he could be when he was a freshman because you kept talking about all the potential that was there. Yeah, he. Re- I think Mark's made a major step just in his confidence level. He's such a good guy. He reminds me a little bit of Will Calvary. Like he's such a good human. He's such a modest and humble guy, and he approaches every situation with humility. Um, and sometimes you need to stick your chin out and just say, "Hey." I'm a ball player. Give me the puck. You know, I, you know, I want to go take that guy's head off or whatever you're going to do. And Mark has really begun to do that. He's starting to feel his game to him. Uh, the puck is starting to follow him a little bit. Um, no, I, I really confident that Mark's second half is going to be really good for us. And I think that he needs to grow his game. And as a senior, I think we'll see the player that, um, you know, we all felt he could become. Cause I think Mark's starting to see that player too. Uh, and then the last guy was was tied to know. Obviously, had the big weekend last weekend. Uh, almost had a hat trick and ended up with uh, three goals on the weekend. Anyway, but how much of that with, with him, especially as a younger player, do you think is just confidence? Because he had, he had a couple of chances the first month of the year where he was right there and goalie would make a save, or or uh, I think there was even a couple where he may have whiffed on a shot. And I, I'm sure as a younger player, it just it kind of messes with your confidence and going, "Which well, is when am I going to get this first one?" Uh, and then it was it almost kind of felt like the floodgates opened last weekend for him. Yeah, I wish he did get that third one. He had a great opportunity, but uh, no, I, I think that Ty is starting to, you know, just feel his game, you know, and that's he played a lot more with the puck in junior. Obviously, every player does, and so you know, for, he could get eight opportunities in a game. He's going to score one or two uh, in college. You're going to get if you're an eight opportunity guy in junior, you're going to be a four, maybe five on a great night opportunities. And, and so you have to really value each one of them. Uh, and I think that's what he's learned. You know, he's a real, he's a quick study. He gets it. Uh, the first time he played with Alex, I think he was a little bit of a deer in headlights. 
Uh, now I think he feels like, okay, this, I belong here. This is good. Um, and he looks really good in that role. So I'm excited to see how he plays. Um, you know, I have not asked Alex this question, but I think Alex enjoys playing with him because he makes plays and he makes some good decisions with the puck. And, you know, that's, um, that's something that is important when you play with Alex because he's, he's going to be getting you the puck a lot and you need to be able to make plays with him. I was going to say, too, how important is it to, especially when you're playing with somebody like that, to have the time in practice? Because I, mean, I think he was kind of thrown there last week when Satara got hurt, right? Exactly. So, I mean, exactly. now now that he's had the week in practice to maybe get some of that that chemistry going a little bit, because I, I would imagine, again, I remember, like, same thing when DaCosta was here. There was guys talking about, you know, he gets me the puck when I didn't expect him to get me the puck because no one I ever played with has been able to get me the puck in that situation before. Uh, and Jeffries is kind of the same way. So uh, how important do you think that this week in practice will be for the two of them to kind of get on the same page a little bit? Because it looked like there was some chemistry there last week, and they, they really hadn't played together up to that point. Oh, I, I think it, uh, the week in practice is great. You know, there's so many more reps than they've been getting and other opportunities. And it gives them a chance to, you know, just get, you know, come out of the defensive zone together, you know, learn roots, learn habits, learn, you know, predictability, predictability you know. We try to tell guys that, you know, if you want to be a great offensive player, be predictable because that's what people can play off of. Um, if they have to read you, it's going to slow them down. And I think, as you play together, that becomes more and more a part of your chemistry. Uh, and I think it's worked for them as well. And Mac Welser may be one of the easiest guys in the team to play with because you just know what you're going to get every single shift. And, you know, Mac being with them, he hunts pucks. He can make plays himself. Uh, I think it's been a really good group this week in practice. And moving him to the wing, too. I know we talked about it last year when you did it, but it seems to have opened him up, uh, Welser, to, to have more opportunities offensively, too. Well, he gets to use one of his greatest skills, which are his legs. Um, and I think when he's in the middle of the rink, he cares so much defensively that, you know, he's always was the last guy coming out of the zone. He was always taking care of business. He was always doing the right thing. Um, and we asked a ton of him defensively. And he, there wasn't as much he could give us offensively because of that. When we moved him to the wing, obviously a little bit less responsibility, gets to use his speed more, gets to use his hunt more because he's you know first out of the zone or second out of the zone. Um, it's been really good for him, and I think he's enjoyed it. Uh, and it's funny, most guys want to get moved from the wall to the middle, and I think he was very happy this, uh, just recently when I moved him back from the middle back out to the outside. So I think it's a good thing. And he's playing with a, you know, Alex Jeffries, who's a righty. So he's going to get the puck on his stick, you know, quite a few times, which is always, you know, is something every player wants to have. <laughs> uh, looking ahead this weekend at BU, obviously their preseason accolades. You guys saw them in the hockey's finals last year. A lot of that team is back. Uh, I know they had some struggles early, but they're playing really well right now. Uh, what do you see from them on film? What What do you think the challenges are going to be with them this weekend? Um, you know what? I'm trying not to think of them because there's plenty of them. Um, but they, you know, they're obviously ex- extremely talented group, and and they have some just some high flying skaters that can make plays and pace and in traffic. Um, I think the biggest thing we need to do is worry about ourselves and not get caught up in in them and be, play more of a a patient game. Uh, and if we can do that and, and you know keep them away from the net, keep them away, you know, hopefully out of the zone, keep them out of the middle of the rink. Uh, we can give ourselves the best chance to be successful. I think they're a dynamite team, and, you know, it's a, um, different than some skilled teams. They also have the pieces to play a hard, heavy game, too, and and that's something that, 
is different. Like last year, I didn't think they really had that, especially in the final because uh, Scoog was out of the game. You know, so I thought we got to play, you know, with them in a different way last year because we were heavy and they weren't. I think they've added a, a, a little heavy to their game. It's going to make them more of a challenge. But, hey, I, I, I think they're certainly the best team I've watched on film this year. Um, and their schedule will attest to that. Uh, they're going to be they're going to be a really big handful for us, but we're excited. You know, why wouldn't you want to play you know one of the best teams in the country? And that's what we're chasing, and we're excited for the challenge. Yeah, you got to be excited about a weekend like this too. I would think with uh, you know the just the hype surrounding it. You got a big hockey's matchup and uh, a rematch of the final last year. I know tickets. I think were sold out on Wednesday, from what somebody told me at the school. So it, it's been a hot ticket. Like this is going to kind of feel like a playoff type atmosphere i would think this weekend but especially on friday at home yeah i think it will and i think uh we played three big games last year and obviously the biggest one being the final but you know i I think we played against each other i think there's a mutual respect for the you know each team has for each other um i think the the excitement of our our student body and obviously being able to sell the place out you know on a wednesday uh, that's it's really positive for our guys. It's really positive for our campus. Uh, it should be exciting. You know, tomorrow's a really exciting day on campus. There's a basketball game happening in Lawler in the morning and then another one happening after us uh, that Saturday, Sunday. So I think it's a great weekend to be in Lawler Arena, not only for, for our fans, but also for the basketball fans as well. All right, Coach. Well, thanks again for the time as always. We'll talk to you next week, and best of luck this weekend. Thanks, Mike. I really appreciate it. That's going to do it for this week's Mac Report podcast. Thanks to Scott Borg for once again being our guest and Ian Bouchane for kicking off the first half of the show with me. Uh, be on the lookout. A special pod is probably going to drop tomorrow on Friday. I was trying to coordinate interviews back-to-back with Joe Gallo and Scott Borg, but, of course, uh, with Merrimack men's basketball playing on Wednesday at Georgetown, they were flying back today on Thursday as I record this, so I didn't have time to record with Coach Gallo today. I, I believe we're going to connect tomorrow on Friday, uh, but I don't want to wait a week for that to come out. So I may drop just the interview or just kind of a special edition podcast tomorrow uh, on Friday before basketball plays Lowell on Saturday. We could talk about that Georgetown game, which, oh boy, should have won and (laughs) had chances to win, uh, both with the ball in their hand and, and some issues with the officiating down the stretch for sure. But we'll get to that tomorrow. Thanks again, everybody, for listening and downloading the show. Uh, enjoy the games this weekend. It's a big weekend uh, over at Merrimack. Women's basketball plays Friday morning at 11 a.m. at Lawler. Then men's hockey plays 7.30 Friday night at Lawler against BU. First time the school has ever done two games in Lawler in the same day, as far as I'm aware. Uh, and then Saturday, men's basketball, big home game against Lowell at Lawler at 7. And, of course, men's hockey's at BU at 6 p.m. And, again, it's on Saturday. So thanks, everybody, again, for listening to the show and downloading the show. Thanks to our guests. Thanks to Ian. And we'll talk to everybody next week.